Good day, all you beautiful people. I am your host, Chris Champagne. This is Toaster Tubby Time, and I am medicated for your amusement. Welcome all you beautiful people to a very special Halloween episode. First off, before I really do anything, I just want to say thank you. Thank every one of you very much from the bottom of my heart. Uh, when I first started this, I didn't know if this would reach anybody or anything. I knew I had a couple friends who would listen and you know maybe they'd enjoy it, but I've, I watch this grow every day, every new episode. Um, at this point in time, I'm still just very religiously following how many people are listening. And I just, I'm overwhelmed every time I see that I would definitely love to hear from you. I have a Facebook page set up. It's toaster tubby time. There is no spaces. So please find me there. Feel free to comment, send me messages. I look forward and would love to hear from everybody who is listening because this means so much to me and I am just having a ball doing this without trying to seem too creepy. I do kind of get to see general locationality and I have people from all over the world who are listening. I have people who are tuning in repeatedly and listening and that makes me just feel amazing. This is so much fun for me to do, and I'm glad that you are enjoying listening, at least tuning in and listening repeatedly. So, being that it's Halloween, I love scary stories. When I was younger, I was in Cub Scouts, and one of the best parts of it was sitting around the campfire at night and just telling scary stories, trying to freak everybody out, and seeing who could tell the best stories along with enjoying the the campfire as well as the s'mores, but the scary stories were kind of always one of the best things. So being that this is Halloween, I am going to read some scary stories, short stories, and just have some fun and play around this time because I think that's going to be a lot of fun and it'll be a good little change of pace, a little break in the norm. So without any ado, I am going to start getting into some scary stories. I hate it when my brother Charlie has to go away. My parents constantly try to explain to me how sick he is, that I'm lucky for having a brain where all the chemicals flow properly to their destinations like undammed rivers. When I complain about how bored I am without a little brother to play with, they try to make me feel bad by pointing out that his boredom likely far surpasses mine considering his confine to a dark room in an institution. I always beg for them to give him one last chance. Of course they did at first. Charlie has been back home several times, each shorter in duration than the last. Every time without fail it starts again, the neighborhood cats with gouged out eyes showing up in his toy chest, my dad's razors found in the baby's slide in the park across the street, mom's vitamins replaced by bits of dishwasher tablets. My parents are hesitant now, using last chances sparingly. 
They say his disorder makes him charming, makes it easy for him to fake normalcy and to trick doctors who care for him into thinking he is ready for rehabilitation, that I will just have to put up with my boredom if it means staying safe from him. I hate it when Charlie has to go away. It makes me have to pretend to be good until he's back. The doctor pulled the stethoscope ear tips out and hung the device around his neck. Mr. Weatherby, all of your tests have come back negative, and my examination shows nothing abnormal. Adam knew what was coming next. I'm not crazy, doctor. I'm sorry, but there's no physical reason for why you occasionally lose control of your hands. A psychologist can help. I don't need any therapy. I need answers. They seem to have a life all their own. I can't hold a job. I'm under investigation for assault. I almost killed my neighbor. This can't go on. I'll try anything at this point. After two weeks on a new medication, Adam saw no progress and grew increasingly depressed. He was convinced that despite what the doctor said, it was not a psychological problem. That night, a frustrated and angry Adam sat in a chair and drank bourbon. Drunk and hopeless, he stumbled to the garage and started the table saw, then slowly lowered his wrist towards the screaming blade. Detective Armstrong entered the garage, where several uniformed officers stood over the blood-soaked body. So what do we got? He asked, taking in the blood-spattered scene. This is a weird one, detective. How so? Take a look at the body. He apparently chopped off his hands with a table saw and bled to death. Armstrong knelt down. And? And we can't find his hands anywhere. Mommy told me never to go in the basement, but I wanted to see what was making the noise. It kind of sounded like a puppy, and I wanted to see the puppy, so I opened the basement door and tiptoed down a bit. I didn't see a puppy, and then Mommy yanked me out of the basement and yelled at me. Mommy had never yelled at me before, and it made me sad, and I cried. Then Mommy told me never to go into the basement again, and she gave me a cookie. That made me feel better, so I didn't ask her why the boy in the basement was making noises like a puppy, or why he had no hands or feet. I don't know why I looked up, but when I did, I saw him there. He stood against my window, his forehead rested against the glass, and his eyes were still and light, and he smiled a lipstick red cartoonish grin. And he just stood there in my window. My wife was upstairs sleeping. My son was in his crib, and I couldn't move. I froze and watched him looking past me through the glass. Oh, please no. His smile never moved, but he put his hand up and slid it down the glass, watching me, with matted hair and yellow skin and face through the window. I couldn't do anything. I just stayed there, frozen, feet still in the bushes I was pruning, looking into my home. He stood against my window. Where are you? I screamed. Panicked, I run through the abandoned farm. I can't find her. Not in the old house, not in the barn. I run into the empty field, heart racing. As I scan the area, I run to a mound of dirt and trip, sprawling on the ground. Getting up, it hits me. Abandoned farm. I tripped over the freshly tilled earth. Crouching down, I started frantically clawing with my hands. Scooping handfuls of dirt, I hit something hard. Wood. Are you in there? I cried, pressing my ear to the wood. I heard muffled cries. I start digging again, but realize it's taking too long. Looking around, I see a garden shed. I sprint to it, ripping the door open. I see a shovel, still caked in dirt. Probably the same one that bastard buried her with. I grab it, running back. I start digging with a purpose. Soon the wooden box is exposed. I toss the shovel and rip open the crate. She stares back at me, eyes wide, bound, gagged, but still alive. I sigh with relief. Thank God. I reach into my bag, pulling out my rag and chloroform. I crouch down, placing it over her face. She struggles, faints. I toss her over my shoulder. 
Ah, hell, my brother says as I walk back to the truck with a smirk. You found her? Yep, you almost had me, though, I laugh. All right, my turn. Where did you put her? I gesture to the creek area. Somewhere over there. Drowning's an issue, though. Jerk, he says, running off. I smile, watching him go. I love adult hide-and-seek. I bought a new house in a small town of Winthrop. The house was cheap, but the most important part was that I needed to get away from the city. A few months ago, I had a run-in with a stalker. While I had managed to get him arrested, I couldn't shake the feeling of eyes just constantly watching me. I felt like there were eyes everywhere, at home and on the street. So I decided to move out into the country, to somewhere with less people, just for peace of mind. The house itself was big and somewhat old, but otherwise very welcoming. The agent who introduced me to the house had been required to mention that a serial killer had lived here in the past, which was why the house was so cheap. However, he, and later my neighbor Sarah, both told me to pay the thought no mind. Four other owners had lived in the house since then, and all of them were very happy with it. I loved the house. Its interior furnishings were beautiful and very comfortable. The people of Winthrop were friendly, often bringing over fresh-baked pastries or inviting me over for dinner. Get-togethers, they said, were the key to making sure everyone who lived in Winthrop loved it here. Yet after a week, I stopped loving it. The feeling of someone watching returned, worse than before. I tried to ignore it, but soon I started losing sleep. Giant bags grew under my eyes and I began yawning almost as much as I breathed. Sarah was kind enough to let me stay in her house for a few nights. It was during this time that I heard the legend of Forrest Carter, the serial killer who had lived in my house. While no one knows his exact kill count, Carter, also known as the Winthrop Peacock, was a man with an extremely severe case of narcissism. Legends say that he couldn't fall asleep if he didn't feel like he was being watched. He was finally arrested for putting up a scarecrow to watch him during the night. Only it wasn't a scarecrow. Carter had murdered a 17-year-old girl just so her corpse could stare at him. The story gave me shivers, and after I went home, I felt like there were hundreds of pairs of eyes just watching me no matter how I turned. Today, however, was the first day that I acted out. I was cooking breakfast when I felt the eyes. Instinctively, out of fear, I threw my kitchen knife, which lodged itself into the wall. As I pulled it out, I found myself staring at a pair of eyes, pickling in formaldehyde. I've been watching the police peel away the drywall of my house for hours now. So far, they've found 142 pairs of eyes in little glass jars. The scariest thing is, each and every one of them was staring at me. I don't want to sound mean, but the dead are pretty clueless. I've always seen them. When I was younger, everyone thought I was just talking to imaginary friends. After a couple of years, when I overheard my parents talking about calling a psychologist, I realized what I was talking to. See, ghosts don't tend to realize they're dead, and they don't look like in the movies. They look just like us. I'm pretty smart for a 13-year-old, so I started noticing certain patterns to tell them apart from the living. They could be a bit distant from living people, or you'd see them try to talk to people who wouldn't even notice them. Some of them could tell I was different, that I noticed them. Like this guy I saw after school yesterday. 
I'm a big boy now. See, I don't need my parents to pick me up. Home is just a short walk away. He was standing away from the other parents. Didn't talk to them, just stared at me. That's how he knew he was one of the ghosts. I went over, told him that I knew what he was, and asked how I could help him. I don't remember much after that. I think because of what happened this morning. Downstairs, my parents were crying. I tried talking to them, but they ignored me. They must have died last night somehow. Sometimes the new ghosts won't talk to me. Some police officers and reporters just arrived. They won't talk to me either, just my parents. It's weird. I've never seen so many ghosts together before. Why won't anyone talk to me? Hello, my dear. You do not know who I am, but I know you. I'm one of the three demons that were assigned to you at birth. You see, some people in this world are destined for greatness. Destined to live happy, fulfilling lives. You, I am afraid, are not one of those people. And it is our job to make sure of that. Who are we? Oh yes, of course. How rude of me. Allow me to introduce us. Shame is my younger brother, the demon on your left shoulder. Shame tells you that you're a freak. That those thoughts you have are not normal. That you will never fit in. Shame whispered into your ear when your mother found you playing with yourself as a child. Shame is the one who makes you hate yourself. Fear sits on your right shoulder. He is my older brother, as old as life itself. Fear fills every dark corner with monsters, turns every stranger on a dark street into a murderer. Fear stops you from telling your crush how you feel. He tells you it is better not to try than let people see you fail. Fear makes you build your own prison. Who am I then? I am the worst of your demons. But you will see me as a friend. You turn to me when you have nothing else, because I live in your heart. I am the one who forces you to endure. The one who prolongs your torment. Sincerely, Hope. And on that note, I wish you a very happy Halloween. And thank you for listening. I will be returning to the regularly scheduled episodes next week. But just want to say thank you again to everybody who's listening, everybody who's supporting me throughout all of this. You are all the best. Thank you so much. It's the way you walk, it's the way you talk, it's the way you shine, it's the way that day.